0: Thank you, once again, <clears throat> good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. We've come a long way in our studies now for the past months on uh, soteriology, the doctrines of salvation, homodiology, the doctrine of sin, uh, Christology, on the person and work of Christ, on anthropology, the study of man, pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit, and demonology, the study of the work of Satan and fallen angels, angelology, Our lesson this week concerns part of uh, the doctrines of soteriology that deal with adoption. As we've said before in these broadcasts, there are certain biblical words that deal specifically with the great manners of salvation. These doctrinal words that deal with salvation are neglected in modern preaching because modern preaching of any sort is based on the humanistic principle that our feelings are to share our experiences with man in love and peace and ignore what God said about the matters doctrinally. The great apostasy in the last times, the Bible says, will not endure sound doctrine. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. And since the first and primary reason for the writing of Scripture in the first place was for doctrinal purposes, the last great humanistic ecumenical movement to get the body of Christ back into the pagan Roman setup under a fascist religious dictator will be to ignore sound doctrine. These modern Christians are said to have uh, teachers with itching ears, and they will heat to themselves these teachers because their ears want to be tickled. The great doctrines of salvation, consequently, are never found in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is an historical book that shows the progression or transition period from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So this is the favorite nesting place for the modern Christian who wants to live by experience, feeling, love, and peace and make a liar out of what God said about His salvation. What God said about the Christian salvation is found in the book of Romans the book of Galatians, and is set forth in the great biblical words such as expiation, propitiation, sanctification, justification, regeneration, redemption, imputation, salvation, and in our study today, adoption. These great biblical words almost nearly always end in T-I-O-N or sometimes IOM, such as conversion. But these words are the words that describe the doctrinal content of what actually happened to the Christian. In order to bring about the abortive new births we're having today, you present a new birth that is not doctrinally straight. That is, it's a counterfeit new birth. That's why we hear very often these days about people being born again, and then when we suddenly look at them, we suddenly discover they have no use for the Word of God, they have no use for sound doctrine. They interpret the Bible in light of their personal experiences, and everything about them shows not a new birth at all, but a social awareness or social consciousness of being kind and good to people in order to get their money. Now this is not the new birth. The new birth is described in its doctrinal aspects in the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, and one of the great doctrines of the New Testament salvation is the great doctrine of adoption, which we shall study today. Now, regeneration begins the new life in the soul when it is born again by the Holy Spirit. And of course, the soul has not been born again, actually. The Spirit has been born, because that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Justification deals with the new attitude of God toward that soul, that is, that soul is declared righteous on the base of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Adoption admits the Gentile into the family of God. That is, regeneration is a changed nature. Justification is a changed standing, sanctification is a changed character, while adoption is a changed position. Now, it is absolutely essential that the serious student of the Bible understand these definitive doctrines that deal with salvation. When we talk about salvation, we're talking about a real thing. Regeneration is a changed nature. The Spirit has been born again. Now the old nature is still there, but there is also a new man. Justification is a changed standing. The sinner is declared righteous before God. Sanctification is a changed character. A certain amount of reform and cleanliness and cleaning up and separation will follow regeneration, while adoption is a changed position. The born-again believing child of God, the born-again spirit, and the saved soul, are taken out of the world system under the devil and placed in Jesus Christ as one of God's sons. In regeneration, the believer becomes the child of God. In adoption, the child receives the position of an adult son. Galatians 4, 5 says, To redeem men that were made under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Wherefore, Galatians 4, 7, Thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Adoption includes our growing up into Christ and occupying our new position. All right, the meaning of adoption. Adoption is a Greek word which means the placing of a son. In Romans 8.15, and notice how these New Testament doctrines are found mainly in Romans and Galatians, not in Acts and Hebrews. Romans 8.15, you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba, of course, is an Old Testament Jewish word. It's a Hebrew word which means before you were saved you weren't in God's family. Or as Paul says in Ephesians, you were alone in the world without hope and without God, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the promises and covenants of God. Now, Ephesians 1.5, you've been predestinated, uh, predestinated to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Now notice how predestination never has anything to do with salvation, per se. That is, predestination as such has to do with confirmation of the believer to Christ's image, Romans chapter 8 verse 29, and adoption of the believer into God's family, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. Notice at no time does the word predestination ever refer to the act of receiving Christ. Predestination is only applied to a man who has already received Jesus Christ. In Bible times the word adoption had a twofold meaning. First of all, the private act of receiving a stranger in the family as a son. Secondly, the public legal ceremonial act of recognizing the son as the heir, something like a coming-out party or coming-of-age party. Until this ceremony was performed, the child actually differed little from servants in the home. The Word then deals not with our relationship with God, but our position before Him. Adoption is the act of God, whereby He places the justified believer as an adult son, to enjoy the privileges and responsibilities of a son of God. For example, in Exodus chapter 2, Moses became the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter with all the rights and privileges of the position when he came of age. In Hebrews 11.24, when he came of age, we read Hebrews 11.24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, adoption has only one condition, and that is, abiding in Christ, union with Him. This cannot be accomplished till the sinner receives Jesus Christ and is born again and placed in Christ by the Holy Spirit. We do not have to wait till we have been a saint for a year or ten years, but immediately on being saved we enter into the blessings of the fully recognized heir of God. Galatians 3.26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith, not water baptism, by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the time of adoption. Romans 9:11 says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. The Lord determined before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5, to adopt every person who got into Jesus Christ. Notice you were chosen not outside of Christ, but in Christ. No man was ever predestinated to receive Christ. No man was ever chosen before he received Christ. Every man who was ever chosen, Romans 9, 11, and Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, was in Christ. How did you get in Christ? You didn't get in Christ till you received him as your personal Savior. And when you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you were placed in Christ, and from that moment on, your destination was fixed because God predestinated you to the adoption of sons in Christ. Adoption is a gracious act on the part of God entirely of mercy for the believer in Christ, and it occurs the moment that one believes in Jesus Christ. John says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, it doth not yet appear we shall be. But we know when He shall appear we shall be like Him. Why? Because Romans chapter 8:29 says we are predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. Sonship is a present possession. We can truthfully say, I am a child of the King. We are not merely children and maids and tutors, but adult members of the family. Our adoption, of course, will be completed at the resurrection when we enter into His presence. And this is why Paul says in Romans 8:23, we are waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Often in this world we are not recognized as sons of God, because, of course, we're still sinful. But on that day, when Christ comes and redeems our body, will occupy our rightful position, will come of age, and <clears throat> in the meantime we may be considered the offscouring of society. But someday we'll throw off our disguise, this body, and put on the new body, and be manifest. <clears throat> this is why John says, It doth not yet appear what we shall be. That is, it doesn't appear to the world, it hasn't shown up. When the world looks at us born-again people who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and placed in the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, all they see is a sinner whom they like or don't like, depending upon their preference. But the truth of the matter is, when any sinner trusts Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit places him into Jesus Christ, he is born again, he is regenerated, he is circumcised spiritually, he is cut loose from his flesh, he is justified by God, he is regenerated by the Holy Spirit, his sins are forgiven, and he is put into Jesus Christ and adopted as one of God's sons. Or as John says, as is he, so are we in this world. Of course it isn't apparent till Christ comes because we don't have our new bodies yet. So Paul says in Romans chapter eight, twenty three, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. All right, the sign of adoption. The sign of adoption is to be led by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Guidance by the Holy Spirit, of course, is always in connection with the Word, and never outside of the Word. Guided by the Holy Spirit is the path to sonship and proof of sonship. The Holy Spirit guides the believer into the truth of God from the Word of God, and the Word of God is the standard of truth, so if you don't have the Word of God, the Holy Spirit can't guide you anywhere. John sixteen thirteen, Jesus said, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. John seventeen seventeen says, Thy word is truth. This means that the modern day Christian who professes to be led by the Spirit and talked to by the Spirit and guided by the Spirit, and is guided by the Spirit, contrary to what God said, is guided by Satan. A perfect example is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where Paul said, If any man among you thinks he's spiritual, but he doesn't acknowledge the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord, that fellow is not spiritual and he's not telling the truth. Paul said, If any man among you seem to be spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. First Corinthians 14. In that chapter, Paul said, When it came to this matter of tongues, let your women keep silence in the churches. If men speak only two or three, only in order, and only when an interpreter is present. And Paul said, if a man thinks he's spiritual, he'll have to acknowledge that that wasn't anybody's opinion or anybody's teaching or anybody knocking somebody's faith. That was the commandments of God. Now, if you think you're led by the Holy Spirit and guided by the Holy Spirit don't believe that, you're guided by the devil, friend. Now you put that down. Very are you talking about being led by the Holy Spirit and guided by the Holy Spirit and rejected what the Holy Spirit said about the nonsense you're fooling with. Now isn't that something? Here's a Christian getting all puffed up and swelled up when the Bible corrects his personal feelings and his personal experience by telling him he's wrong and he takes experience over what God said, and then talks about being led by the Holy Spirit. You're led by an unholy spirit, friend. That book says, Thy word is truth, and if a man loves me, he'll keep my words. And why don't you hear my words? He that is of God heareth God's words. You hear them not because you're not of God. John chapter 8, verse 40 to 47. So we have a lot of nonsense going on today for these so-called Bible-leading Christians, who have 35 versions that contradict each other, talk about sharing their experience and praising the Lord while rejecting what God said. They're not led by the Spirit, not the Spirit that wrote that book. All right, the cry of adoption, Abba Father, shows you come from a Gentile family into a Jewish family. Abba is a Hebrew word for father. Abba, father. Romans 8:15. Abba, father. Galatians 4:6. Abba, father. Mark 14:36. Abba is the Aramaic, the language of Christ's childhood. It means father. Therefore, you've been adopted in the family of God. Of which, of course, the apostles, Jewish, and prophets, Jewish, are the foundations and Christ Himself the foundation stone. Whereas before you were saved you were a Gentile, alone in the world without hope and without God, a stranger from the covenants of Israel and the commonwealth of Israel, where that took place before, that is no longer true. Now you're part of the Lord's family, and you're part of a genealogy that goes further back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of course, you're not a literal, physical Jew, because in Christ there's either Jew or Gentile. In Christ all are spiritual Jews, Romans chapter 2, and a spiritual Jew, technically, is not a Jew nor a Gentile. He's something entirely different. As the Bible said, he's a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, the great blessings, of course, that come from our adoption into the family of God. The man who is adopted becomes the objects of God's peculiar love. We know that God so loved the world He gave. But John 17, Jesus said of his own, Thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That is, there is an intimate love relationship for the Father and the Son, which is manifest between God and the believer, that is not manifest between God and the unsaved man. The compromising Christian preachers and healers of our day are trying to get unsaved people to think that God loves them the same way he loved his own people. That's a heresy. God so loved the world, he gave fast and his only begotten Son, but all the love that God had for this world showed up at Calvary where Christ died. Since that time Christ is very clear in his high priestly prayer, for he prayed, I pray not for the world, but for them whom thou hast given me out of the world. When the Bible says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, Ephesians chapter 5. He's talking about an intimate relationship that exists between Christ and His body, the body of believers, but exists nowhere between this God-hating, Christ-rejecting, Bible-perverting world of unsaved sinners and the Father of glory and the Father of all lights. Now the modern trend of fundamentalists is liberal, and the modern trend is to make the unsaved people, to make them think that God is just crazy about all of them and doesn't have anything against them and just forgive them for anything. Apart from Calvary, there's no forgiveness for anybody. Let's get that clear. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Apart from Calvary, you won't find the love of God manifest anywhere in that book. And you talk about the love of God and omit the blood, and the cross, and the sweat, and the tears, and the whip, and the nails, and the cursing, and the pain, and the blasphemy, and the suffering, you're preaching a perverted gospel, and you yourself are a spiritual pervert to try to present the Word of God in that manner. Now, how do fellows get in this fix? They get in this fix by trying to get along with the world in order to keep their income up. The love of money is the root of all evil, and not of all kinds, as you find in the new so-called Bibles. Where a man wants to get in good with the world and stay in good with the world for monetary purposes, he doesn't dare be critical or negative. And the gospel that's being preached today across this country in thousands of radio stations and thousands of pulpits is a gospel where it's all good news and no bad news. This overlooks the fact that the gospel is that Christ died, negative, for our sins, negative, and was buried negative, and rose again the third day positive. The gospel is seventy-five percent negative according to the man to whom it was revealed. First Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 6. The gospel is seventy-five percent negative according to the man to whom the New Testament revelation was given. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. The man who said, if any man preach any of the gospel to you, then that let him be accursed, said the gospel was 75% negative. It wasn't John 3.16. John 3.16 is a general outline on God's manifestations of His love found in the gospel. John 3.16 is not the gospel. John 3.16 doesn't mention Christ dying for sins, you say, well, it says, that's your problem, you see. Now, you see how people are? They're so anxious to avoid persecution, and they're so anxious to pass off and get along with the world, that if it comes to a choice of two verses, they'll take the one that'll upset folks the least. Paul said, "The gospel I delivered unto you is how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and was buried, and rose again the third day from the dead according to the scriptures." And he said, "If any man preaching the gospel is not, let God curse him. That's the gospel. But it's seventy-five percent negative, so it isn't being preached. What they're preaching is the love of God." positive. They're not preaching the gospel. Now, God's love for this world is a different kind of love than His love for the body of believers who've been adopted into His family. And once you draw out that distinction or that thing, then somebody's going to accuse you of discrimination, egotism, and God knows what, so the preachers simply aren't pointing that out. In the blessing of adoption, the child of God becomes God's object of this peculiar love that is an intimate love relationship and is not like the Lord and the unsaved man at all. The born-again child of God becomes the object of the Father's fatherly care. The Father of God looks after his livelihood as to what he'll eat and what he'll wear, his occupation and his health. The adopted child of God has a family name. He's called the sons of God, 1 John 3.1. The sons of God have a family likeness. Romans 8.29. They're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. The child of God has a family love. In 1 John 3.14, we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. The child of God has a filial spirit, a spirit of sonship. He cries Abba Father, Romans 8.15. The child of God is in a family gathering. John 14 23 says, We will come unto him. The child of God in the family receives fatherly chastisement. Hebrews 12, 5 to 11, which proves that he's a true child of God. The Lord scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God deal with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? It's not like God dealing with the unsaved people at all. Now this love, love, love feast bit comes from the cowardly Christian who's worried about his standing and wants to avoid persecution. Why, God's chasing of the unsaved has nothing to do with the father-and-son relationship. It is called the goodness of God that leadeth the sinner to repentance. God chastens unsaved people to show them that they need to trust Him and repent and turn from their sins. It has nothing to do with chasing them so they can appreciate heaven more, or chastening them so they can be humble, or chasing them so they can bear fruit, or chasing them so they can sympathize with other sufferers, the reason causes behind God's chastening of a child of God and an unsaved man are entirely different. But by simply talking about love and peace, the modern cowardly preacher covers up the difference, so the unsaved man thinks he's in the family when he's not. If you're an unsaved man, God isn't whipping you to make you bear fruit for Christ. If you're an unsaved man, God isn't whipping you to make you appreciate heaven more. If you're an unsaved man, God isn't whipping you to show you that His power is sufficient or that His promises are true, although that is the reason why God whips His children. God whips an unsaved man to show him that he can't save himself and tries to get him to receive Christ to keep him out of hell. Now you see how some of you have been deceived? You've got this funny idea God just loves everybody and puts up with everything and just kind everybody and whips everybody for the same reason. You're wrong. And you're perverting the living Word, the living God. These things deal with adoption into the family. The adopted Son of God receives fatherly chastisement, not the sentence of a judge. The child of God receives fatherly comfort, 2 Corinthians one four, and receives a fatherly inheritance, 1 Peter four an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, that is reserved in heaven for him. Now notice how these things all deal only with the born-again child of God who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and placed in the body of Christ. Not a single one of them has anything to do with any man I'm talking to who is unsaved. The unsaved man does not have a family name. He's not in the family, he doesn't have a family likeness, he doesn't have family love, he doesn't have a filial spirit, he doesn't gather with the family, he doesn't receive fatherly chastisement, he's not the object of God's peculiar love, he receives no fatherly comfort, and he has no inheritance. As a matter of fact, he's told by the Lord Jesus Christ, Depart part of you cursed and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels." Therefore, 90% of modern preaching is aimed at covering up the horrible truth that the two types of men are not alike at all. They're entirely different. And the effort of preachers to sue the Christ-rejecting, God-defying, Bible-perverting sinner into thinking that he is loved and God is his Father is satanic. It has nothing to do with the truth of God. Now there are certain responsibilities that come with adoption. Members of the royal family of heaven must behave like children of the King. They are to walk worthy of this high calling in keeping with their position. They are to love and serve one another as brothers and sisters in the same family. They are to love each other, and above all, they are to love their father and love their father's word. As a child enjoys the freedom of the house and the privilege of running into the Father's presence at all times, so the believer can approach God's presence at any time for those who are adopted in the family of God are led by the Spirit of God. We ought to possess our possessions and live as sons of God, heirs of God. We ought to possess our possessions and live as sons of God because we're adopted into God's family and God is our Father. The story I've told of one child who knew that he was adopted and was being teased by it. They said, you're just an adopted child. However, the child was proud of being adopted and said, Yes, I'm adopted. My parents chose me, picked me out of many babies. Your parents had to take what they got. <laughs> so the adopted position is a great position, an honorable position. I don't know whether you know about it or not, but the laws of adoption in America or any country of such a nature that you can never disinherit an adopted child. Once you're in the family, you're in. It is true. If you are saved, you've been adopted into God's family. If you are saved, then the Lord chose you for his child, praise his name, rejoice in it, and be worthy of the name by which you are called. May the Lord bless you, and good day.